Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Popcorn and Compliance, a podcast where, with Jay Rosen, we take a look at movies from the compliance perspective. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series on popcorn and compliance. In this special series, Jay and I are going to look at the intersection of Star Wars and compliance to celebrate the release of the latest Star Wars movie, The Rise of Skywalker. Over each day this week, Jay and I will review a Star Wars movie and discuss it from the compliance perspective. Part one, A New Hope and Risk. Tuesday, December 17th, in part two, we discuss The Empire Strikes Back and Due Diligence. Wednesday, December 18th, in part three, we discuss The Return of the Jedi and Effective Training. Thursday, December 19th, we discuss A Force Awakens and Disruptive Innovation and Compliance. And we conclude on Friday, December 20th, with The Last Jedi and the Board of Directors' role in succession planning. It's a fascinating series where Jay and I get to discuss our joint love of Star Wars and intersect it with compliance. This special five-part podcast series on popcorn and compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Uh, Sadly to report, along with Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors, we are here for our last episode in our five-part special podcast series celebrating all things Star Wars and compliance. Today, we're going to take a look at Star Wars 8, The Last Jedi. Of course, this is in anticipation of the impending opening of The Rise of the Skywalker. So, Jay, are you feeling uh, upbeat or are you feeling ennui for this last episode of this special podcast? No, I'm feeling the force. It's it's amongst us all and it's vibrating between Houston and Los Angeles. So I think we should dive right in. All right. So what does your Hollywood insider tell us about The Last Jedi? Star Wars fans might know all this minutiae already, but I just wanted to kind of frame the story before Tom takes over. Uh, As we all know, Star Wars The Last Jedi is a 2017 American epic space opera that was written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who is a newcomer to the series. It is the second installment of the Star Star Wars sequel trilogy following The Force Awakens from 2015 and the eighth episode of the nine-part Skywalker saga. It was produced by Lucasfilm and distributed by its parent company, the Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. In October of 2002, Star Wars creator George Lucas sold his production company, Lucasfilm, and with it, the Star Wars franchise to the Walt Disney Company. Disney announced a new trilogy of films, and J.J. Abrams was named director of the first episode in the trilogy, and he also directs the final part, which will be coming out this week. The Force Awakens... uh, Rather, the first episode of The Force Awakens. In June 2014, director Ryan Johnson was reported to be in talks to write and direct its sequel, Episode 8, and to write a treatment for the third film, Episode 9, with Ram Bergman producing both films. Johnson confirmed in August of 2014 that he would direct Episode 8. In September, filmmaker Terry Gilliam asked Johnson about what it would feel like to take over something made famous by another filmmaker. Johnson responded, I'm just starting to get into it, but so far, honestly, it's the most fun I've ever had writing. It's joyous. 
but also for me personally. I grew up not just watching those movies, but playing with the toys. So as a little kid, the first movies I was making in my head were set in the world. A big part of it is that direct connection, almost like an automatic jacking back into hot childhood in a weird way. But I don't know. Ask me again in a few mirrors and I'll tell you what we can talk about that. The story begins immediately after the last scene of The Force Awakens. Johnson had his story group watch films such as 12 O'Clock High, The Bridge on the River Kwai, Gunga Din, Three Outlaw Samurai, Sahara, and The Letter Never Sent for inspiration while developing ideas. He felt it was difficult to work on the film while The Force Awakens was being finished. During production, Hamill expressed disagreement with the direction his character, Luke Skywalker, was taken, finding the character's more disillusioned status to be contradictory to his previous optimism. Hamill later said that he regretted making his initial misgivings public and compared disagreements to clashes he had had with George Wilkes, Lucas during the filming of Return of the Jedi. In terms of music, in July of 2013... Uh, they announced that the Star Wars celebration in Europe, that John Williams would return to his Star Wars sequel trilogy. It was confirmed that the recording was underway in February 21st of 2017, with both Williams and William Ross conducting sessions. In terms of the release, Disney had placed notable conditions on the U.S. cinemas screening The Last Jedi, with some operators described as onerous. Disney required that the film be screened in the cinema's largest auditorium for a four-week period and that it was given a 65% cut of ticket sales, a percentage higher than the 55 to 60% average for other major films. And it was cited as the highest split ever demanded by a Hollywood film behind the 64% of The Force Awakens. The agreement, which was required to be kept confidential, also contained regulations on promotions, Restrictions on removing any scheduled screenings, violators were to be penalized with an additional 5% cut of ticket sales. Because of this, some cinemas declined to screen the film, particularly smaller or one-screen cinemas that would otherwise be barred from screening any other film during the commitment period. Industry representatives considered the policy reasonable, citing the performance of Disney's release in the Star Wars franchise and that the guaranteed business attracted by the film and concession sales would make up for the larger part of ticket sales. In terms of box office, The Last Jedi grossed $620.2 million in the United States and Canada and $712.6 million in other territories for a worldwide total of $1.333 billion. It had a worldwide opening of $450.8 million the seventh biggest of all time. On December 31st, 2017, in just its 17th day of release, Star Wars The Last Jedi passed the $1 billion threshold, becoming the fourth film of 2017 and the 15th Disney film, the fourth Star Wars film, and the 32nd film overall to pass that level of ticket sales. The film was the highest grossing film of 2017, and the second highest grossing film in the series behind The Force Awakens. Now we'll just dip into a couple of what the critics thought. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes reported 91% of critics had given the film a positive review based on 454 reviews. The website's critics' consensus read, 
Star Wars The Last Jedi honors the saga's rich legacy with adding some surprising twists and delivering all the emotion-rich action fans could hope for. At Metacritic, the film has a weighted average score of 85 out of 100 based on 56 critics, indicating universal acclaim. Uh, writing for Rolling Stone, Pete Travers gave the film three out of four stars, saying, you're in hyper-skilled hands with Johnson who makes sure you leave the multiplex feeling euphoric. The middle part of the current trilogy, The Last Jedi, ranks with the very best Star Wars ethics, even in the pinnacle of The Empire Strikes Back. Hollywood reporters Todd McCarthy said, loaded with action and satisfying in the ways its loyal audience wants it to be, Writer-director uh, Ryan Johnson plunges into George Lucas's universe and generally pleasing, if that sometimes strains to find useful and interesting things for the characters to do. Finally, with an opposing view, critic Owen Gleiberman of Variety criticized the film for being too derivative of the past movies by saying it's now repeating things that have already been repeated. The Rebels' up-against-it plot with our own heroes down in the nub of their fighting spirit, feels like a rehash of what we went through a year ago in Rogue One and attempts to echo the look and mood and darkening design of The Empire Strikes Back. On the whole, audiences randomly pulled by Cinema Score gave the film an average gray of A on an A and a half to F scale. Uh, so I would say in uh, summation... Since Walt Disney took over Lucasfilm, uh, they have turned this into uh, a regular enterprise with clockwork, with uh, certain times to expect new films, with opening up on the holiday date. And um, I think that uh, on the whole, it's a very uh, interesting and uh, worthwhile uh, contribution to the Star Wars canon. What say you, O Darth Vader? So, Jay, uh, first let me pick up on one of the points the director really talked about, which was being not simply a fan and the director, but being a fan from childhood and how that actually uh, informed some of his thought process on the movie he wanted to make. And um, although we weren't children when the first uh, three came out, we were certainly much younger and I think we both we both bring that uh, kind of joy and you know teenage joy and teenage angst and teenage emotion and teenage over the toppedness um, when we see a Star Wars and it certainly takes us back to a, a different place and a different time perhaps far far uh, away even uh, the closest thing I can think of though professionally and this is a very cross cultural reference is. Uh, and this you would have to draw on your new New England roots for this is the NHL, which annually has one game outdoors, uh, typically around uh, Christmas or New Year's in a location where they hope hopefully it's snowed or at least frozen so they can set up a rink uh, relatively easy. And when you listen to the interview of the players, it is uh, largely, of course, Canadian players where they're talking about when they first started playing hockey at five, six, seven uh, on a frozen pond or a frozen slab in a town in Saskatchewan and really just the joy they had of playing hockey and that, that <clears throat> this NHL game, recognizing they are professionals and they have a job to do, brought back a lot of those feelings of joy and just being bundled up so much that even if you got checked, uh, perhaps it didn't hurt as much as, as uh, when you were playing indoors. So 
Um, and the fan experience, I think, is is largely informed by what many of uh, uh, you folks who get to see hockey a little more regularly than we do, or at least you did growing up, perhaps, um, what you might have thought of hockey as a youngster and how you are in those help inform your memories and in your views of seeing hockey outdoors now. And, and I, I credit the NHL for doing that. And it seems to be as big a success with the players as it does with the fans and with the fans. I mean, they sold out Michigan stadium. That's 110,000 people. So uh, it is hugely popular, but I was really intrigued by those comments. The, uh, the theme of this uh, movie, Jay seemed to me, well, there's lots of themes, but from the compliance perspective, <clears throat> I wanted to start with leadership. But before we got to leadership, the opening sequence, uh, I rewatched uh, all of the movies in anticipation of this podcast series, but I hadn't rewatched this one in quite some time. And it, uh, the opening sequence was just as exciting as a sequence uh, can be. It was a uh, X-wing fighter attack on a uh, star cruiser. Uh, spoiler alert, that's been done before. Uh, but uh, this time it was Poe Cameron. And um, it, it made me realize, no, number one, how exciting uh, that can be. But also, he's a hell of a pilot. And uh, uh, it really emphasized that in that fighter sequence. It wasn't Luke with the force, let go your feelings, Luke, uh, and let the bomb go. Uh, it was uh, a highly skilled technical pilot. And that's what he is throughout this movie. He's a pilot, and he's great at what he does. Uh, he thinks he's the best. He's certainly one of the best. And at the end, there's so few left, he, he may well be the best. But uh, he's, he doesn't have the bigger picture. And uh, that was the other theme that I, I really wanted to uh, talk about. And we, we paired this movie with board succession or the board's role in succession. And it really struck me that uh, Poe, as great as he was, Poe Cameron, the fighter pilot, really didn't have a bigger picture. And uh, Admiral Leia uh, attempted to uh, uh, tell him that, um, but she did so very much not in a grandmotherly way, perhaps in an aunt way, uh, not as a mother, but perhaps as an aunt would talk to you. But it wasn't quite strong enough, or it, uh, he just doesn't get it. And maybe he's a slap-happy flyboy um, uh, who's used to getting his way, and he certainly took his way. But um, the uh, uh, it was just clear he didn't have the, the bigger picture in, in – in, he didn't have that available to him and to understand what they were trying to do. And I think that is uh, really the one of the key um, roles of the board is to step back and have that strategic overview. So when it comes to a board's um, role in compliance, uh, we've talked about in the blog post going, accompanying this podcast six separate things. One, they need to understand the key corporate documents. They need to use an assessment framework, conduct due diligence on the candidate, maintain a pipeline of candidates so you don't get uh, caught short-footed, uh, assess board policies as you would any other co corporate policies every couple of years, disclose your succession strategy, whatever that might be, and then benchmark your successes. So that's really the, the role of the board. But there were some interesting, I think, um, leadership lessons. And before I get to that, were there any uh, Hollywood insider or other insights that you had, uh, Jay? So uh, one thing that continues to happen with uh, Star Wars films is that you get 
more and more cute critters. And I've read a lot of commentary on the porgs, on the space horses and that wonderful uh, scene where they're running through the casinos. We've got crystal foxes. We've got the caretakers of Ankto and we've got sea sirens. So I don't know. I, I'm split. I love seeing the new features, the new uh, creatures, but I'm wondering, there's just too many times that you cut to a porg and it's like cutting to an Ewok. So part of that uh, makes me remember that, you know, initially this was designed to be a kid's movie. So I figured that they need to throw in those cute critters to hook the young viewers at a young age. But I'm wondering where do you stand on uh, all these species and what's your favorite animal in the Star Wars universe? So first of all, there's no room for prejudice on this podcast. Your uh, Terran bias is showing through. There are multidimensional creatures in the universe, and uh, you, I think, are showing just disdain for anyone who's not bipedal work, walking on two feet. Um, so I, I must chide you for that. There's a lot more out there than, than just us humans. Whoa. So yes, just because they're small and cuddly doesn't mean they have uh, forfeited the right to exist as a sentient life form. Um, my, without a doubt, it's Chewbacca. But I felt bad for Chewie because he had this whole nice barbecued pork that he was ready to dive into. And then they cut to this one with his little eyes and saying, don't eat my perfectly crispy brother. Exactly. So that they have feelings and communicate just like the rest of us, just because they don't talk like you do from, uh, where was it? Mahamcha? Uh, doesn't mean that they aren't uh, worthy of uh, full uh, life form rights. All right. That was, my, that was my only little qualm to talk about the animals. So back to you. Uh, let me do some uh, leadership lessons since this is our final podcast in this series. So from Yoda, the greatest teacher failure is, you know, we really do learn from our mistakes. Some of us have learned a lot more because we've had to. Uh, from uh, Ray. I need someone to show me my place in all of this. She obviously has raw talent. Uh, she obviously has the force with her, but uh, that raw talent needs to be trained. So seek advice from mentors, listen and learn. I like this one from Luke. This is not going the way you think. So put your ego aside and be prepared for the unexpected or more uh, pointedly uh, prepare for the unexpected. Uh, from Supreme Leader Snoke. You are no Vadar. You're just a child in a mask. Uh, unfortunately, as we have learned from uh, the current administration, words matter, and nothing good comes from ridiculing your staff, calling people scum, or uh, those who are trying to do the right thing. From uh, the first Asian-American character uh, on the uh, Star Wars uh, front, who has garnered a lot of, uh, frankly, love, is Rose. Uh, this is how we win, not fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. Focus uh, less energy on beating the enemy and resisting in, uh, inevitable change. Instead, build on assets and attribute attributes that will make you more resilient and nimble than your competition, or, or I would say have a higher risk management strategy. And finally, we end with Yoda. What you are, they grow beyond. This is the burden of all masters. As a mentor, it is difficult to watch our protégés move on, yet we must, and we must let go of them. And one point, at some point in the future day, your girls are going to go to college, and uh, you know they may get married, and at some point, you guys are going to have to learn to let go 
All of us did, and it's the same in the professional world as well. So were there any lessons that uh, really jumped out at you? I think you got them all taught, Tom. I think the one thing I need to do is open my worldview and think that there are more than bipodal mortals like myself. I guess the question I had for you as as the recovering screenwriter is, uh, what do you do when you sit down to work on something that uh, is a classic, it's a living classic, it's not a 50-year-old classic that you're reinterpreting, but you're really part of a living, breathing ecosystem of screenwriters, of scriptwriters, of producers, directors, actors, and more importantly, fans and aficionados. And do you have to? Do you have a, a greater responsibility uh, when you sit down to to work on something like Star Wars than you would on a perhaps a new project? Or how how would you approach something like that? I think that's it's a great question. One of the things that I remember uh, experience a lot of is that when you're putting together a film, it's an extremely collaborative process with all the different stakeholders that you just named. And one of the things is everybody wants to get their fingerprints on the project. You know, a producer would only would want to direct if he could, but since he can't direct, he's going to produce. So you have everybody trying to get their stake, uh, get their piece uh, recognized. And what becomes even more cumbersome when you have a property like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or something like that, that has this whole canon behind it about what needs to happen. I think it's pretty incredible that Ryan Johnson, who directed this movie, and he had done some other films before this, but nothing on the scale or the scope of this. I think that you want to, in terms of your leadership lessons, trust the people who've been there before and know what needs to go on. So there are certain things, certain tropes that need to be reported, recorded and played in the Star Wars universe. But then there's also an opportunity to be new and to bring in fresh things. So I think if you all come in there with the goal of collaborating, that makes this better. Um, You know, the, the question about screenwriters is there are multiple drafts that are generated along the way. And what usually happens is it goes in front of the Writers Guild of America, and they make a determination, uh, is the author of the script the sole author, or do they sometimes share screenplay credit? Sometimes they share screen story credit. So, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think if you pull off something successful like this, you can write your own ticket. And I believe Ryan Johnson is also going to be uh, working on a new trilogy that's uh, – spun spun off in the star wars universe so uh at the end of the day you have to try to play nicely but at the same time you have to realize that you are a creative force within the room that you have uh you know been asked to come in there because of your story sense and your, your visual capabilities and i think you just use the resources there to do the best thing and and i think we've seen a great result here with the uh the last jedi do you you guys have tickets to uh, the Rise of Skywalker, or are you going to wait a week? Uh, we're going to wait a week. We've got uh, relatives coming into town, so uh, we we can we we probably wouldn't have a problem sitting in the darkened theater for two and a half hours, but they might think it's a bit rude. So we'll we'll catch it next week. We have tickets uh, for Saturday afternoon, and uh, the other uh, the other thought I had when rewatching this 
was the difference in experience is not simply watching it on a small screen or a smaller television screen at home, but um, at the movie theater, uh, I tend to get overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the sights, the sound, the action, uh, everything that's going on. And of course, in my mind, trying to tie it to every point in the prior uh, and now eight films and figuring out what everyone's <clears throat> backstory is and how we're going to move all of that forward. And uh, I really appreciated this movie much, much more on uh, the second viewing and really saw what they were doing. And in many ways, I think presaged what we're going to see in the rise of Skywalker. I saw a lot of forward looking cookies, if that's a that's an insider phrase, in addition to those that uh, look back over the series. So uh, I am uh, more than excited. Uh, I had a long debate uh, this week at a customer's location about could you be both a Star Trek and Star Wars fan? They were much younger than me, and I had to chide them to say, yes, you can do both, and you can do both well. So uh, with that, you want to take us home, Jay? Uh, I'm going to... See, probably having seen the new ones with Mrs. Rosen and the daughters, I will stick with my overflowing bucket of buttery popcorn, but we'll hold off on the milk duds because, uh, you know, you can't have all good things at once. So uh, we give it overflowing bucket with butter. Well, uh, I'm going to give it one and a half overflows. Um, It's not quite two. Uh, I may see two on Saturday, but I'm going to give it two. I'm going to give it a extra large Diet Coke. Because I have a bucket and a half. Excellent. So on behalf of Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and myself, Jay Rose, and Mr. Monitor, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode of Popcorn and Compliance, where we took a look at Star Wars, The Final, The Last Jedi. Thank you for joining us, and enjoy number nine. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this final episode in our five-part series on the intersection of Star Wars and compliance. Today, we have considered The Last Jedi. Please uh, let us know what you thought of this podcast by rating us on iTunes. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as Jay and I enjoyed bringing it to you. In our next episode of Popcorn and Compliance, we return to our review of the original TOS Star Trek movies. So our next episode of Popcorn Compliance will be episode five, The Final Frontier. This special five-part series on the intersection of Star Wars and compliance has been a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.